Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty along with my brother Darren. We are live in the Morton studio today just talking about pasture crop protection programs. But as always, if you've got any questions for us, you can certainly give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. Again, that's 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on X, AgPhD Media, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. All right, so when it comes to pasture crop protection programs, usually people are only thinking about herbicides. And I get that. Uh, that's... That's typically what we're going to be talking about. And even so, so Brian, they're thinking about how cheap can I get by here and often looking at the short term, looking at a very, very small budget instead of trying to solve problems for the long term. And I know even growing up on our farm, we were doing things for the short term a lot in the pasture. It's, well, there's some thistles out there. They've got a head on them. Go cut them off and at least they won't go to seed. And we'll try and do better next time. Or, hey, let's spray some 2,4-D. Let's hope that that holds them down. Those kinds of things rather than saying, why don't we go out with some Tordon at that time? Or why don't we go out with some Stinger or something like that and just knock them out for good? And now we've got Milestone, which is just fantastic on thistles. We've got a lot of great choices out there. And here's the other thing. A lot of times it was just a little patch in the pasture instead of the entire pasture. And we could go out and spray five acres out of an 80-acre pasture and do a great job and take out 99% of the weeds that way. Okay, a couple of things that I really wanted to hit on today. Number one is, and kind of where I was going with that before, is don't just think about herbicide. Think about biologicals or naturals. How about an insecticide? I mean, are you having issues out there, grasshoppers or some other bug that is causing damage to your grass? The more you can think about that grass as a crop, the better off you're going to be. So I would just encourage you, look at the whole picture. I mean, and of course, drainage, fertility, all that stuff is really important too. But today we're focusing on crop protection programs. So where I'll start is if you want more tonnage out of every pasture you've got in the spring and the fall, spray gibberellic acid. Uh, Valent for years has had a product called Rise Up Smart Grass. They rebranded it now as ProLiant PGR. But it's awesome, and it doesn't cost much money. You're going to spend maybe 3 5 $7, something along those lines. It's not much, and what you're going to see is better grass growth because gibberellic acid is naturally produced in plants, but when it's cool in the spring and the fall, it doesn't produce as much, meaning your grass doesn't grow as fast. So all you're trying to do is trick the plant into thinking things are better by putting more of this growth hormone on, and it works. It's great. So that's number one for me. Number two is this that I wanted to hit on to start the show. 2,4-D in the last couple years had been really expensive. I mean really expensive, like triple the normal price. So that's where we said, uh, yeah, you might as well use Tordon or Milestone or some other great product instead of using 2,4-D. Don't use 2,4-D. Well, now 2,4-D is a little cheaper again. So you may look at it and go, well, I can save $3 or $5 or whatever going with 2,4-D. Yep, you probably can. But I'd just say, how good is your control going to be versus anything else? So Darren mentioned it already, but Milestone is absolutely phenomenal on thistles. I mean, it is great. Because it's great, then hopefully you don't have to spray again in the future so much. And you should have more tonnage. 
So this is the other thing that I think we often forget about is, yep, we, want, we know we need to kill the weeds, but what was my return on investment on that? How much more tonnage did I get out there? How much more grass did I get out there? And if you can eliminate the thistle for good, now it's not growing next spring. Now it's not hurting your grass production before you even get it sprayed. So it can be a really big deal. Much more productive pasture after you use something like Milestone. Tordon we really like too. Tordon's real close in terms of, hey, it's going to kill thistles. It's going to probably kill them for several years and do a really good job, leave lots of residual. It's just not quite as good on thistles as Milestone, but it's great on leafy spurge and a number of other weeds. Chaparral we really like for brush species. So, I mean, those are kind of my three go-to products, Milestone, Tordon, and Chaparral. If you want to step it down to like LV6, okay, you certainly can. I'd encourage you maybe take a look at Duracore. Uh, that's basically got a 2,4-D replacement product in there that doesn't have all the volatility of old LV6, and it's got some milestone. So that's a really good one. I know that's the one that Corteva pushes an awful lot. So it's a premix of two different chemistries, and it works pretty well. Otherwise, I really like Distinct. Distinct is the same thing as Status, only it doesn't have the corn safener, so it's way cheaper than Status. So anyway, those are those are probably my favorite products that I would talk to you about in terms of weed control. And then I, I guess there is one other thing I'd mention too. I, I talked about naturals and biologicals, and I mentioned Rise Up Smart Grass or Proliant PGR, the uh, the gibberellic acid that you can put on your grass works great. And also that works for silage corn as well. But the other product that we use quite often in many different crops is called MegaGrow. It's plant growth hormones, IBA and cytokinin. It really helps root growth. That's the biggest thing. It also helps herbicide recovery. I mean, the plant recovery, I should say, from herbicide applications. You don't see as much yellow flash like with Roundup, for example. Uh, obviously, you're not using Roundup in your pasture, but I'm just saying it helps the plant heal up much more quickly after you just put a herbicide on and it has to metabolize that herbicide. So anyway, we like doing a lot of different things besides just, oh, we're just going to spray 2,4-D. I don't like old 2,4-D just because of the volatility. That's really my biggest issue. Still works pretty well on weeds. It is a lot cheaper than it was just a year ago, but that volatility, I just don't care for it. Personally, I've <laughs> one of my first jobs on the farm ever was spraying 2,4-D, and I killed my mom's garden, killed her flowers, dropped leaves off trees. Um, yeah, I'm especially sensitive when it comes to anybody talking about old 2,4-D and its use because that volatility can be a really bad thing. All right, we'll talk more about pasture crop protection programs on the show today. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. 
It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. How can Naturals products help you raise bigger and better crops? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. Biologicals, or naturals as we call them, are impacting every facet of agriculture today, and that will only grow in the future. That's why we're devoting a full day to our Ag PhD Naturals workshop, Wednesday, February 7th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of Naturals products, and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. If you look close enough, you can see the hidden potential within your fields. That's why an agro-liquid nutrition plan starts with the crop and identifies the precise combination of primary nutrients while focusing on the support of secondary and micronutrients. So every nutrient is working in harmony for your crop to reach its full potential, maximizing growth while offering lower use rates. Apply less, expect more, precisely. Find an agroliquid dealer at agroliquid.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Martin studio today, talking about pasture protection programs, trying to get the most out of your pasture. I mean, we honestly want to get the most out of every single acre that we've got. And for a lot of growers, they say, wow. Uh, I'm really focused on the row crops, and that's wonderful. That's that's a good deal. But for a lot of the guys that have some pasture ground, they want to get the most production out of that, whether they're baling that up for hay, whether they're grazing it with their livestock, what, whatever the purpose is. We just want to do the best we can to get the best return on our investment and do the right things for the environment along the way. Got Lauren Mulder on right now. He works uh, as a Neil Kinsey consultant. Is that how you would say it, uh, Lauren, down in Texas? Uh, that's why I tell most people, uh, I think it's Kinsey consultant and, uh, a lot of people, if they haven't read Neil's book or been to one of his seminars that y'all have hosted or heard him on the show, aren't familiar with Kinsey, but if you tell Neil Kinsey, it rings a few more bells with guys. Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. That's true. All right. So we know a lot of those things play out in vegetable crops, fruit crops, uh, tree nuts, row crops, I mean, all, all those things. How about on grass production? Does, does balancing the soil fertility out and, and feeding the, the pasture grass just right make that much of a difference? It absolutely does. Um, it's interesting. We have data. It's kind of been uh, lost over the years that we don't really talk about, but uh, there's been work done by a number of different soil scientists over the years and weed scientists that show when you're soil chemistry is out of balance you tend to have more weeds and depending on whether your what your imbalance is you may have indicator weeds uh that actually tell you that that are there because of the imbalance in the nutrition so as you bring your field into better balance you typically see a little bit less weed pressure but also at the same time your desirable vegetation is more vigorous which again that helps to battle weeds 
You know, in our pasture, we had never really focused on micronutrients. And I know with our feed rations and other things we'd supplement the cattle with, we were kind of addressing those things. But uh, it was probably close to 20 years ago that we were talking to somebody in the micronutrient space and they said, well, just put some micros out on one part of your pasture and just see what happens. And the cattle literally just mowed that down as soon as we let them into that area. It was really eye-opening that they're seeking that balance in their ration along the way. Absolutely. Their tongues are incredibly more sensitive than ours, and it helps direct them to eat what they need. Um, You know, it's the beauty of Mother Nature, um, how some of these animals have evolved over over the centuries and eons to develop such sensitive you know, in, in the case of our livestock, their tongues and their noses are so much more sensitive than ours to help them eat what they need in their diet and to seek that in their forage. But absolutely, um, I believe, uh, is Tim going to be up there with Neil in a couple of weeks? I'm not sure. Again, this I'm year? I'm not sure about that. Uh, I know last year he presented some data. Um, when you encompass the whole program to balance your soils, not just the the magnesium, the calcium, and the potassium, but all the micronutrients, your forage production, whether it's grass or a seed, has a higher protein content. And, you know, we don't get paid for that necessarily for our seed production, but absolutely, if you, you want a higher protein content in your forage, whether you're baling it or grazing it. It's absolutely better for the livestock, absolutely better for their health and for their weight gain. Yeah, I know we talking to uh, uh, producers just here over the last couple of years, there's been a lot more use of sulfur, and uh, they've noticed some big differences as they added sulfur into that um, fertility ration they're putting out in the pasture. But uh, a lot of folks, it's nitrogen. It's, oh, I'm focused on nitrogen out there, and that'll help with all these things. But it doesn't when you get way more nitrogen than you have potassium. And when you're way short in calcium, you just struggle getting some of those nutrients in. The same things that are true out in those pasture acres are very likely happening in your crop production fields right around. So uh, if your favorite crop is cotton or your favorite crop is corn, you say, well, this is what I do to get the best cotton or the best corn. Oftentimes, many of those things could be used to get you the best pasture grass production as well. We're talking with Lauren Mulder Absolutely. here, who knows, who knows this so well. Uh, he works uh, works with Neil Kinsey, uh, helps clients out down in Texas and beyond, uh, and has been a great resource for us as well. Lauren, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on today. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate y'all. You bet. I got Vanessa Olson with us right now, works with Texas A&M. Uh, Vanessa, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, so we're talking about forage production, and it, it really does make a difference if you feed that right, if you care for that along the way, just like any other thing that you're trying to grow. Absolutely. So what are some of the challenges that, that growers in Texas face that, that you get to work on on a daily basis? So, of course, in Texas, drought is always a big issue. Um, either recovering from drought or preparing for drought or dealing with drought. So that's always a big issue in Texas or often an issue in Texas. But soil fertility, um, soil pH, weed pressure, 
even forage insect pests, um, all of those things are a consistent challenge for producers in Texas. Yeah, you know, the the weeds, a lot of guys talk about those, and Brian, Brian has mentioned this before, you, you see it from the road, you, you notice it out there, the cattle graze around many of the weeds, and, and so they kind of stick out like sore thumbs. The insects, though, uh, is something I've always thought, even when I was a kid, I would see our cattle swatting at flies and these kinds of things, and I would ask my dad about that. I'm like, can't we do something about the flies? So they'd leave these animals alone. They seem to be wasting a lot of energy and being kind of frustrated out there if we have uh, bugs like that out there. But there are other bugs out there, too, that could be hurting the grass as well. What what do you see in Texas? What are some of the problem insects? So um, we have three primary suspects as far as forage insect pests. Fall armyworms are an extremely big challenge, especially those of us in East Texas, um, where we have some, you know, tend to have moisture at, at different parts of the seasons and not as droughty as, as say, West Texas. So fall armyworms can be a challenge um, when we have good moisture, some cooler temperatures, and we have when we have some well-fertilized forage, they really prefer that higher nutritive value, higher quality forage, whether it's well-fertilized Bermuda grass or, you know, our winter annual species, ryegrass, our small grains, uh, that we tend to utilize in East Texas for, for winter and spring forage. And then, of course, grasshoppers um, can be very damaging to our forage systems when we do have hot, dry conditions, which is often in Texas. Um, so in the central part of the state and the south, south southern part of Texas, they're probably a much bigger concern at times than they might be for us in East Texas. But they can consume a lot of forage, and they're not very picky. So whether you fertilize or not, they, they can cause some damage. And then, of course, the, the newest insect pest throughout the southeast is the Bermuda grass stem maggot, um, so a pest of Bermuda grass and star grasses. So for us in Texas, Bermuda grass um, can definitely be impacted, especially our yield, by that particular pest. Talk to us a little bit about that one. Is that one that lays eggs inside the stem, and, and that's why it's so challenging? So the challenge is it, it lays the eggs on the, the plant and then that maggot, um, the larva stage, burrows into the stem okay. and it's protected in that stem. So that's the challenge in regards to using any type of insecticide for control. Really, based on research so far, really the only thing we can impact is the fly, the adult stage, um, with some pyrethroids at, a, at you know timely applications. So, and unfortunately that's a pest that we don't realize or are not aware that it's in our environment until we see damage. Um, you know, we can scout, we can see grasshoppers in our environment and we can scout for fall armyworms by walking through our fields or driving through our fields, but it's very difficult to see the fly of the Bermuda grass stem maggot, you know, walking out in your field. Um, you know, even trying to catch a fly in a, a sweep net is kind of challenging, of course. So we don't notice we're not aware that that pest is in our environment until we see damage. Yeah, there are just some tough insects out there. They figured out their ways around our system, and, and now they're thriving. We've got the same kind of issues in soybeans and wheat up in our part of the world, and it sounds like Bermuda grass is no treat either. Uh, we're talking with Vanessa Olson <laughs> no. here with Texas A&M about some of, the, some of the challenges to growing good quality forage down in Texas. Vanessa, thanks for what you do, and thanks for being on the show. Absolutely. Y'all have a great day. You as well. We're talking about pasture crop protection on today's program. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit MortonBuildings.com. For the smallest investment with the biggest impact on yield, upgrade your planter with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. To see how we stack up against the competition at a fraction of the cost, call us at 712-520-6051. It's a hungry world of 8 billion people. Let's not let them down. Commodity Classic is where you'll find innovation in the quest for bigger yields. Join us in Houston for new frontiers in agriculture. February 28th through March 2nd. Learn more at commodityclassic.com. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? I'm Darren Hefty. We'll answer that question at our free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop Thursday, February 8th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep into your best options for control of yield-robbing pests, trade options including extend flex and enlist, fertility, and much more. If you want to make raising beans more lucrative and more fun, come to the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking about pastures, talking about grass management. There are just so many things that can be done, and we've hit on uh, some of the insects and weeds and these types of things, fertility issues. One thing we haven't talked about yet is rotational grazing. We got Cedric on with us right now, who uh, farms and and would you say farms and ranches in Louisiana, Cedric? How do you how do you describe yourself? Uh, this old farm boy working every day. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Working every day. And uh, my kids, we don't raise livestock right now. Brian and I grew up raising livestock and they, they didn't 
really get it. We, when we got super, super cold here, I said, well, you know what your uncle and I would have been doing? We would have been out making sure that the animals had water because it probably would have frozen and uh, that's not yep, good sir. and had to make sure they have fresh bedding and all those kinds of things. So always some challenges around livestock, whether it's too hot, too cold, whatever, it's, it's always something. And uh, I mentioned the rotational grazing. How big a deal is that for you in Louisiana? It's getting to be a pretty big deal up here. Yeah, very important, and um, I've learned over the years, uh, Darren, uh, by rotating your cattle, especially during the uh, summer months, um, they don't have a tendency of, uh, you know, eating that uh, forage all the way down to the root, especially Bermuda grass. So I would say, you know, we try to rotate them uh, out at least every 14 days during the summer months, and when the fall comes in, we take uh, one or two of our hay meadows that we've had, uh, Bermuda or Bahia grass, for hay crop. We'll take that field and um, uh, disc it up and uh, put in rye. And and we're trying to start adding uh, some other grasses with that winter rye. But sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. So... It depends on how much moisture we get during the fall and, and winter months, and that rotation will take us around through the you know spring until we get back into the regular uh, pastures for the regular you know seasonal grasses. Yeah, we have a challenge too when we're doing cover crop in the in the what we would call early fall up here. We just don't always get a lot of rain that time of year, and it's tough to get that established really really well. It seems like rye does a pretty good job; it's pretty forgiving for that. But maybe some of the other grasses are not quite as forgiving about the moisture. Yes, and what what's your take on? Um, I, I have some friends who's been uh, trying to put in some uh, some clover, mixing it in with uh, some rye as well, but. Uh, that clover don't really come up as well or as quickly if you mix it with rye grass, if it, especially if you don't get no, you know, two to three inches of rain. You're right. Planting it. You're right. It it is a slower, uh, slower emerger, and uh, it just yeah, it doesn't have that same growth habit. We we a lot of times like to see those in separate fields that you could blend as you want, but uh, I totally get why people want to do it. Right. 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 Yeah, Cedric, that's so, one of the uh, things I, I talk to people about all the time. Just raise your clover or alfalfa or whatever separate from the grass because they, I mean, once you have a mix of a broadleaf crop together with a grass crop, we have almost no right. options for other weed control. They have different needs uh-huh. for fertility. I can't go spray. Yeah. I, I mean, well, I can spray like gibberellic acid or something to make the grass grow taller, but the problem is that doesn't help the the broadleaf crop at all, and then the grass gets ahead of the broadleaf crop, and then it chokes it out, and then it's uh, it's yeah, it's a vicious cycle. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> um, we also been uh, you know during the summer months from time to time, uh, we have a few uh, horses as well, and uh, you know we try to get that the nutrients from the horses you know right there on on the, on the pastures as well with the rotational grazing, and we've seen our you know fertilization bill. Uh, ticket or bill go down, you know, 20, 10, 20% just by rotating the, the cows or horses there on the, on the pastures from time to time. And uh, we might do a spring green up or fertilization for the green up on our regular fields. But, you know, if we keep them moving every 14 to 21 days, uh, one, one time fertilization in the spring would get us through the whole year. Yeah, I, we've talked to a lot of people about the benefits of increased tonnage. Haven't really talked to anybody that said what you just told us 
I'm fertilizing less when I use rotational grazing. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I guess, well, it's like I, I was watching his TV show not too long ago, and, and I think uh, Dan was uh, Dan was making an example about putting putting those nutrients back into the ground yep. by, by the, uh, the cows being there. Yes, sir. <laughs> you bet. <laughs> well, hey, Cedric, great talking with you as always. Hope things are going well for you down there. Yes, sir. You guys stay warm. <laughs> we'll try. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the toughest thing to ask uh, for anybody up in the north is stay warm in the winter, but we'll do the best we can. I uh, got another guy a little bit further south than us. We got Tom down in Oklahoma right now. How are you doing, Tom? Good. We're having a January thaw, so it's sloppy here today. You know, we're getting a thought too. It's like 34 degrees here, so I think we're two degrees above freezing. But we're pretty thankful for that, considering the winter we've had already. But it got cold down all the way down. I, I was really surprised. Yes, we got down around zero, and that 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 happens, but it doesn't happen often. And it it's oh, it just slows us down a little bit. I mean, we're not near as prepared as you all are, but we've learned over time to get a little better prepared. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You just hope it passes quickly. Sunny and seventy-five. That's what we're looking for. <laughs> I like that too. I like that too. So, talk to us about pasture management just a little bit. Is is are there any big tricky things? I mean, are army worms a big concern, or or any kind of pests that can really make it difficult? Army worms were really bad. I think it was year before last, and. I can't remember in Arkansas, we're right on the Arkansas border and, and they were, they were having a little bit of resistance, but I can't remember it, but probably they use a lot of lambicide, but, uh, they're not, you know, our, our biggest army worm problem is in the fall on fall seeded crops like wheat or oats where we graze or bale for hay, we'll have trouble with that. Sure. When it comes to uh, different grasses, what what do you like? What's working there? Uh, what are most growers using? Well, most of the what we call improved pastures are Bermuda grass. Uh, now we have a lot of a lot of native pasture also, and a lot of it is timber, and some is timber we're trying to convert to grass. And probably that's probably one of our bigger challenges. We we spike it and and try to burn it, but <clears throat> converting converting timber and 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 it's not good timber. It's it's blackjack and post oak and scrub brush. But once you once you get that big oak out of the way, then you have a flush of new things that sometimes are even harder to kill. It, it, it would be originally this country was an overgrown savanna with with big oaks and a lot of good native grass and then in time as people moved in it 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 got kind of messed up uh and and now now the main thing you know once you plant improved grass you're always fertilizing and you're always spraying and you know granted you're you're putting more cows on an acre but you're you're you know with the last couple of years when fertilizer shot through the roof that wasn't a real fun game to play it's getting better now we usually run 
we really like to run 28005, but sometimes it's a little harder to get chemicals to mix with it. And the last year or two, we've been running 32 because we start early just as soon as soon as usually right after we plant corn in the middle of March and then we start spraying pastures. And if it's below 60 degrees, sometimes, sometimes, you know, mixing, we've run a lot of graze on next in the last few years. We don't sell hay, so we don't have to worry about that. It's just pasture. We usually rotate that chemical every other year, but we actually ran graze on next two years in a row because it, it just does a good job. It lasts yeah. and it just, it works. Yeah, it's but it's it's a nice service. Used to work too. <laughs> well, uh, let's hope that uh, that we don't lose the potency of grazing. That it's not just a key product in Oklahoma; it's a key product for a lot of folks out there. Hey, Tom, we got to run, but thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on, and and uh, hope that things warm up down there for you as well. All right, y'all have a good day. Thank you. You bet. You too, Tom. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post-application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy-duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings. Experience the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids. Extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. Are you ready for better efficiency, more productivity, higher yields? Then you're ready for John Deere Precision Technology, which starts with three core pieces. First, a G5 display gives fast views of your work and a window to future technology. A Starfire receiver gives you sub-inch repeatable accuracy without an RTK base station. And a JD-Link modem gives you a live view of your entire operation. Get precise and talk with your John Deere dealer or visit johndeere.com backslash base. How can Naturals products help you raise bigger and better crops? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. Biologicals, or naturals as we call them, are impacting every facet of agriculture today, and that will only grow in the future. That's why we're devoting a full day to our Ag PhD Naturals workshop, Wednesday, February 7th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of Naturals products, and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. Are you ready? We got the need, the need for seed treatment. Start your engines. Ready, set, Intego. Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. My mom's got a new case I extractor and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. 
shift like a race car, steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. Hey everybody, come on in. The Ag PhD mailbag is about to begin. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It is the Ag PhD mailbag time. You can call us with a question, 844-44-AG-PHD, or email us, radio at agphd.com. And Ryan, I believe from Michigan, yeah, from Michigan, had sent a question before about um, just how much nitrogen to put on. And he said, guys, he said it's previous corn ground, but unfortunately before that it was a cow pasture and we don't have soil samples yet. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate the follow-up, Ryan. Going to have to see some soil samples before we could dial that nitrogen wreck in. Otherwise, it would just be a guess, and that's what we're trying to avoid. Yeah, and so what we're looking for is how much nitrogen's already in the soil and how much organic matter do you have in your soil, plus what's your cation exchange capacity. In other words, how heavy is that ground? How much do we have to worry about loss and leaching? So, anyway, just a few factors there, obviously, we would like to know. Oh, and one other thing, since it was corn, how much tillage was done? In other words, if you moldboard plowed, you're going to have a lot less nitrogen tie-up than if you were no-till. And I'm not saying everybody needs to go moldboard plow, okay? Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm simply saying we just need to know what your situation is because if you were to no-till and you've got lots of corn residue there, that corn residue is high carbon, low nitrogen. Well, until that carbon to nitrogen ratio gets flipped, you're going to see tie-up of nitrogen. That's why a lot of people say, oh, you're going continuous corn. Well, then you need to put on an extra, let's call it 50 pounds of nitrogen. Maybe it's 30, maybe it's 70 pounds. You're going to need something extra. All right, thanks for the question. Got uh, this one in from Rudy. And Rudy said, how do you balance, you were talking about building organic matter, how do you balance building organic matter and reducing tillage with trying to build soil fertility at the same time? Uh, because in some cases you recommend incorporating nutrients to get them deeper down below the surface. Okay, so let's talk specifically about P and K. Phosphorus is very immobile in soil, unless you get the rate ridiculously high, and potassium is pretty immobile in a heavy soil. But here's the thing. You don't have to put those nutrients on every year. A lot of the farmers we work with only fertilize every other year. They do it going into corn, and they fertilize enough so there's enough carryover to help the soybeans, or at least hopefully there's enough. Anyway, with alfalfa... We might put on P and K once every four years. We do it before we seed the alfalfa. So you have to look at that. The other side of it is you can take a coulter or even a shank with strip till and you can inject that fertility down. So let's say you wanted to do it once every four years or two years and you you use something like that where you're not doing full-scale tillage. All you're doing is injecting it down into the ground. So there are a lot of ways to handle that, but... I, I guess I'll put it this way. For each farmer that's out there, each farmer is going to have a different perspective on this. For some, they want to build organic matter, and that's all they care about. Others, all they care about is building soil fertility. Others, all they want to do is get by with a low cost. I mean, everybody is a little different. So I'll put it this way. 
You tell us what you want to do, and we'll help you try to get there. All right. Thanks for the for the question. This one comes in from Gary, and he said, one thing you guys have talked about has been nutrient stratification. So our solution on our farm was to band P and K along with zinc and even a little bit of sulfur down four to six inches deep so it wasn't all laying on the surface. Okay. Uh, I want to ask you about soil sampling. What is your recommendation for accurate soil sampling now that we've got some stuff on the top, some stuff down deep? Here's what we've been doing. We've been going out pulling cores every two to three inches across 30-inch rows to get a representative sample. It's worked much better than when we've randomly sampled, uh, but just kind of curious uh, what you would do. Our goal, of course, is to build fertility down a little deeper. Yeah, but the question is, are you building? How much are you putting on above and beyond what crop removal would be? So when we started doing strip-till, that was one of our fears. And so we did some testing in this, and basically what we found is the nutrient removal charts are pretty accurate. We worked with International Plant Nutrition Institute, for example, when we put together the Ag PhD fertilizer removal charts. So it's a free app that you can go to to on your smartphone or your tablet you can download it there and you can punch in you can punch in your crop your yield goal and it will tell you what that crop's going to remove so if all you're putting on is crop removal then it's really not going to make any difference where you sample but if you're on a build program then yes i get it if you hit one of those slots where you put more fertility in it's going to inflate your numbers so I, it it's real challenging. I, I mean, the soil labs are still going to tell you to sam sample randomly or sample just like what you're doing every two or three inches and keep pulling samples going across that 30-inch row. I, I don't know the exact right thing to tell you. All I know is if you aren't on much of a build program, I don't think I'd worry about it too much. Now, if I was on a massive build program, let's say I was putting on three times what the crop was removing, well, yeah, now that's going to skew your data but I don't think that's what you're doing. Okay, thanks for the question. Uh, this one comes in from Don who says, there's a horse farm next to my farm in Illinois. We raise corn and soybeans on, on our side of the border. The horse farm is not able to get rid of all the manure they've got, and they will spread manure on my field for free. The problem is Great. it has wood chips. And they are heavily mixed in with the horse manure because wood chips are used in the stalls and indoor arena. I've been told wood chips are nitrogen robbers. Yep. Just curious, is that true, number yep. one? Yes. And if so, what can be done to permit the horse manure to be usable? Uh, could that mix sit and break down for some period of time, maybe <laughs> at one or two or three years? Would composting it help this at all, or do I just have to apply more end if I'm going to use it? I don't know what the best answer would be. We know the problem. We just have never figured out or, or done enough work on it and studying it to determine, all right, how do we solve that? So I'll put it this way. If it was me, I would still take the manure. I would just put it on at a really light rate, and then I would just put more nitrogen out there. Now, eventually, that nitrogen will come back into the system, but it could be years because it's going to take a long time for those wood chips to break down, and I mean a long time. But yes, they absolutely will tie nitrogen up. So the, our first experience with this was when we used wood chips at our Ag PhD field day site under some tent areas, and then we basically used that out and incorporated that out into some plot areas, 
And oh my goodness, the nitrogen deficiency that we had that very next year was horrific. So we just said, hey, we're never doing that again. Now, could we have overcome it with a really high rate of nitrogen? Absolutely. The problem is I just don't know exactly what that nitrogen rate is because it all depends on how many wood chips you have, what your carbon to nitrogen ratio is, and how much nitrogen those wood chips are going to tie up in the short term. And I, that, I, I, I can't answer those questions, unfortunately. All right. Thanks for the question there. Yeah, sounds like a little experimentation is going to be needed. But yeah, I, I'm serious though. I would still take the manure. I would just do it at a really light rate because, I mean, for one, I'd want to try to help my neighbor. If they've got manure to get rid of, then I want to try to help them out. But the other side of it is we know manure is good. It's just you're going to have to put more nitrogen on to overcome the wood chips. But if you do it at a really light rate, it it I would guess wouldn't have to be much. So I would probably start small. I'd do this on a few acres and I'd say, okay, let's, let's just do some testing, see how it turns out. And you do a little side-by-side -side work. It's probably not going to take you very many years and you'll get that dialed in appropriately. Let me throw this out there too. Uh, talk to the, the horse farm owner about, would you consider going away from wood chips? even in part right. of this operation. Right. Maybe maybe just in one area you could go away from wood chips and then try it and see. And they would probably say, well, what's my alternative? And maybe it's, well, hey, maybe we'll grind up some wheat straw or something like that, and you could possibly even raise that for them. You know, those types of things. Maybe there's an alternative to, to wood chips. I think wood chips sometimes are even harder than sawdust just because they're such big chips. It takes a while to break them down. I know we've really struggled with that even around our Ag PhD Field Day site. If we use wood chips anywhere, we yeah have a tough time uh, after that just getting them to break down. Hey, thanks for the questions and good luck to you. We'll get right back into the Ag PhD mailbag, taking your calls and questions right after this. Can you predict the future? I can't. That's why when I'm planting soybeans, I treat with Heads Up Seed Treatment. With more than 15 years of research, Heads Up offers proven protection against both white mold and sudden death syndrome. So no matter what the year throws at you, you've already taken that first step to be prepared. Don't let your beans suffer from disease when they're just starting to look their best. Tell your seed dealer you need Heads Up Seed Treatment. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. Because the challenges you face are getting bigger every year, BASF is committed to helping with more than boots on the ground. We're committed to boots in the mud, boots on the steps of your truck, your tractor, your combine, the linoleum tiles of your coffee shop, the concrete of your co-op, the gravel in your shed. So we can listen, learn firsthand, help right now to ensure success. BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? I'm Darren Hefty. 
We'll answer that question at our free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop Thursday, February 8th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep into your best options for control of yield-robbing pests, trade options including ExtendFlex and Enlist, fertility, and much more. If you want to make raising beans more lucrative and more fun, come to the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. Do you want to optimize the amount of plant nutrition provided by the microbes in your soil? Source it. Want to replace 25 pounds of nitrogen and phosphorus per acre? Source it. Looking for a more cost-effective way to unlock your crop's potential and increase ROI? Source it. Easy to handle, apply, and store. To make your fertilizer plan more efficient, source it. Learn more at sound.ag. Planting preparation starts as soon as harvest ends. So do successful at-plant strategies. Put time on your side with at-plant inputs, insights, and innovations that help you make the most of next season's planting pass. You're already thinking about seed, inputs, and crop protection when you plan your season. Include them all in your planter to give yourself an at-plant advantage that pays off at harvest. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio, and we're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time. Taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD or by email radio at agphd.com. I got a couple questions here from Jason in Eastern Virginia. Uh, He said, this past year, I had a field of corn that averaged 272 bushels per acre. Now, I had to do several trips with zinc just to keep my soil test level up to one part per million. Uh, Would a granular application be worth the money? Uh, My goal is to eventually hit 300, but I'm also running zinc in the starter. And the same thing with copper on my wheat. I I keep spraying copper out there, but my soil tests always come back as one part per million. Yeah. So you're not going to put much on when you're going foliar. Yes. On our farm, we just do dry zinc. We've done dry copper. You could also do uh, a water-soluble copper sulfate thrown into water in your spray tank. Just make sure you clean your sprayer out at the end of every day. It's super important. But those are things that we've done, and we just raise the level up. Because, yeah, we were just chasing our tail year after year using starter and foliar and all this stuff. And I'm not saying we don't still use that, because we do. But I am saying once you get your soil levels up, now you're not so reliant on that. And yes, we have been able to prove that getting your zinc levels up and your copper levels up in the right ratio with phosphorus in the soil is a big deal. All right. This other question, he said, if, you, if you're putting winter wheat behind corn and it was a dry year, would you recommend a soil nitrate test before planting? Uh, you don't have to do that, but I would prefer to do one just so I have some kind of idea what's going on, but you got to test for nitrogen at some point. So if you're just going to assume, all right, we got enough to get the crop started. Okay. But at some point in season, you're going to need to pull a soil test, find out what you have for nitrogen, and then you can apply the appropriate rate. 
Okay, Chris had a question on nitrogen also. He said, in your area, how much of your 6 to 24-inch nitrogen is available the next year for crops that you guys are growing, considering that you'd get normal <laughs> rainfall? I'm just curious, does some nitrogen leach out before the crop gets to it or yes. needs it? Well, sure, but how much? I don't know. Nobody can really tell you that question. I personally would count on a fair amount, though, because we just don't get much moisture and we have very heavy soils. So I I don't think we're going to lose a lot, but I don't have extensive data to show you one way or the other. Oh, yeah, we can get 80% of it. We can get 90%. We can get 50% on average. I don't really know, and it's it's exactly what you said. I mean, even if I am counting on whatever, 80%, all of a sudden, if I get double normal rainfall in a particular month early in the spring, I might only get 40 or 50% of that or maybe less. It's hard to know. Mike has a question on lime, and he said, I'm curious, there's a couple different ideas about how to build a lime recommendation. Do you build it based on pH, like the soils labs like to do, yes. or do you build it based on base saturation calcium like Neo Kinsey does? We've also done that. Yeah, I, I like doing both, personally, Mike, and then picking the lower of the two rates. Not to try to save money, uh, it's just our experience with lime is the worst thing we've ever done with lime is over-apply. If we underapply, we can always put more out there. Yep. But if we if we overapply, it's it's really tough. And the cool thing we've been using the Verify uh, program now to manage fertility on our farm. It's V R A F Y. You can find them at verify.com, and they offer you the alternative of doing both or picking one or the other way of building lime. At lime Rex. I, I like that. I think that's pretty cool that, that you have the choice because not a lot of folks are talking about that, but I think uh, I think you're on to something there with your question. I, I kind of agree with you. Uh, Ryan wants to talk about phosphorus. He said, in my soil sample, it shows uh, my soil samples, I have a range of Bray P1 phosphorus. So it's supposed to be available right away, 170 to 352 parts per million. So pretty oh. good numbers. He said, do I still have to put a liquid starter on for phosphorus uh, or isn't all that available right away? How, do, how does the Bray P1 work and do you think I'd still see a return on investment using a starter? Well, the only thing would be if the soil is real cold, the phosphorus may not be available. But I'll just put it this way. The odds of a starter paying big time for you are slim. Could, the, could it pay a little bit? Sure. Even on some of our high... Uh, high phosphorus fields, we're still doing starter at a low rate. It's not much. We're not throwing much out there, but at least we can get the crop off to a good start when that soil is cold because we like to plant when the soil is real cold. So that's really the, the factor. So if it's me and I see a level like that, would I do a couple, three gallons of a starter? Probably. And then I'd call it good because you got all kinds of phosphorus there. All right, this one comes in from Jeff, and he said, Hey, guys, this is a sample from our well that we're using to spray with. So this is our well water. We don't have irrigation, but we're just using it for spray water. Uh, haven't really had any trouble. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are. If you had this well water, uh, what considerations would you have as you're spraying herbicides, fertilizers, naturals, whatever? Okay, well, this, the water pH is 8 the sodium level is 373, and the lab calls it critical above 120. So you've got a lot of sodium there. You've got a lot of chloride. Uh, there's actually a fair amount of boron in it. Uh, so 
is there a chance that it could tie up certain things for you? Uh, it is certainly possible. Now, normally what we're talking about is high levels of calcium and magnesium. Your levels of calcium and magnesium don't appear super high in this, but is it possible that a water, some type of water treatment could still get used and could still pay off? I would think so, just because your sodium, your chloride, I mean, you got a number of things here that are, are real high, and the pH. So for example, we've been using a product called Waterite in our farm, probably costs us 30 cents an acre, maybe 50 cents an acre. It can tie up a lot of the hard water ions, it can lower the pH, and that has proven beneficial in our applications. All right, thanks for the question. We appreciate that. Um, this one comes in from Adam down in South Central Kansas. What are your thoughts about a cover crop during the summer between wheat harvest and wheat planting? I'm worried we would lose too much moisture. Why? Yeah, I, I guess I, I keep forgetting. In Kansas, they're probably harvesting that wheat quite early. So, yeah, let's say that there's a month or maybe two months maybe even three months in between. Is it possible you could lose some moisture? Yeah, it is. The flip side is, what's going to happen to that soil in the meantime? So if it's me, I guess I would just say, I'd go out there and harvest the wheat. I'd let the stubble stand, and then I would probably go back in and seed however long it is. I don't think I would put a cover crop in that environment. Now, if it's irrigated, if you're in an area where you have lots of rainfall, then it's a little bit different story, and it would be nice to have something growing out there. But in that case, when we're talking dry land and moisture is our number one concern, I don't think that I would do it. Now, here's the other thing. Sometimes we're wrong. And sometimes the year is different. So I don't know 100% for sure. I'm just guessing you'll be ahead if you don't plant the cover crop. But if I was you and I'm curious about it, I'd try just a few acres and then see. That's how we've proven out almost everything on our own farm is we try it, we try it again, try it a third time, and we go, oh, I guess if it's working every time, well, I guess we can do it on more acres. I, I, I guess we like that. I would not just try it one time and say, well, I guess from now until forever, we need to raise a cover crop. No, I'd, I'd, I'd give it uh, maybe two, three years and, and see how it turns out. But I don't think you're going to be ahead putting that cover crop in. Okay. Uh, question from Matt here. He said, you guys talk about drying corn on the farm yourselves. We have a, a tower dryer on our farm, but it seems like our test weight always goes south after running corn through the dryer. Yep. What, what have you guys found? Yep. Yeah, it certainly can. So especially if you're trying to, trying to take lots of moisture out and if you ha run at a high heat. So I was notorious for wanting to run at high heat because then I could get things done faster and we could finish our harvest faster because they could do more acres every day. But I agree 100%, the test weight would go down. So if you want high test weight, if that's important to you for whatever reason, then I would turn that temperature way down, try that first. In my experience, that helped me a lot. But if you can air dry it without much heat or do it without much heat, that's usually when you can at least preserve most of the test weight. Hey, thanks for the question. We appreciate that. And thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.